Let's open our Bibles this morning to that verse that we just saw on the on the video, and that's Second Corinthians chapter ten. Second Corinthians chapter ten. You know, as we saw in the video, um, youth today are really going through a lot of things where they uh, are. As we saw in the video, the, um, the teen looking at the cross, saw the tracks to the cross, and they see the cross. They may see the cross in their parents' lives, in the church, or really in, the, in, the, in their own lives. But there are things that they are building that block out the cross, and we saw those bricks those uh, cement blocks that had labels of just things that we use to build walls. And these walls uh, really block the, uh, or attempt to block the power of the cross in our lives. And I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to look at this subject um, for the next week or two about strongholds, and Second um, Corinthians chapter 10, it says in verse 4, we'll start there, or actually just go to verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What does that word carnal mean? It just means that anything that's done in the flesh. It's fleshly, it's carnal. But they are mighty through God in, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to look at another verse with you in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And we can see a we can see this in action, uh, this verse here, where we see a king, Asa, and how this affected his life as a king as a believer. Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 17 says this. And this is really a testimony. I'll start in verse 16. It's a testimony of King Asa. And he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah and Asa cut down her obscene image then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. Verse 17, But the high places were not removed from Israel. High places is another word for strongholds. And actually that's a verse that we just had read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, where, strong, where vain imaginations and high things, that is a better translated as high places, but the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. 
Now, this is a very interesting situation. You have a king who has a loyal heart after God all his days. He's loyal. And I think that that could be really a condition of a lot of Christianity today. Many, there are many believers, and maybe us in, our, in this room, where there is loyalty and there is a, uh, a committed walk that we have with God. We are, uh, we are not going to go out and kill somebody. We're not going to necessarily go out and commit adultery, or we're not going to go out and do some of these things that, that we see happening in the world today. But it could be that we are like Asa, where there are strongholds in our domain of where we're ruling. Asa was king ruling over Israel. He did something, he did somewhat. He broke down the image of his queen mother, which was just a, um, who was just manipulating things. But Asa left the high places in Israel untouched. Many kings did this in the Old Testament. Many kings, what they did was they became, they came into power, they had a heart after God, they did some great things, but the high places were not removed. High places were these uh, um, temples and these areas dedicated to the worship of idols. And these idols, they were on usually like mounds or high places where everyone could see these. And these strongholds for a believer, how does that, what does that mean for us today as a believer? Maybe we are not in our houses praying to uh, stone images like maybe they do in India. Maybe we're not in the woods praying to trees or to um, a god in the woods of some kind. But there are idols that today are very much a part of our society. One African missionary, Pastor Shabelli said this. He said that in Africa, you see demons, you can actually see demons functioning and operating in the open. You can see them because there's nothing to hide behind there. But in our Western culture, in our American culture, we have, uh, we have demonic activity uh, functioning hidden behind things that are materialistic. And idols can be something that um, become strongholds. And what is a stronghold? I want to get into an idol in a minute. But what is a stronghold in our lives? Strongholds in our mind, in our soul, begin with a black hole. You know what black holes are in the universe? They are a star that has collapsed under the pressure of its own gravitation, and it just collapses, it implodes. And the gravitational pull is so powerful that it begins to suck in everything that is around that star, other planets, uh, space dust, asteroids, and it's so powerful that it even begins to suck in lights, light particles, and that's why it's called a black hole. And these black holes can actually be, be in a believer's life. Black holes is the void in our soul where we have, the, have an issue of some kind of an addiction, uh, some kind of a um, slavery to something, something that, is, uh, that we are not able to break free from. And these, these black holes, these, um, the, this slavery that we experience becomes something as a satanic stronghold. And when we look at a stronghold, we have to ask ourselves, um, what has created this? And if we back up a little bit, strongholds are only a, a manifestation of something that was preexistent before. The question <clears throat> that we have to ask ourselves is, what is missing in our life 
that would prompt us to go after a particular addiction? What's missing? What is missing there? What is the black hole? What is that um, hole that is sucking things in that is creating a, a stronghold? What is it that we yield to, that we give ourselves to, that we embrace because something else is craved and is lacking? Deep down, we may sense that there's something that's very necessary, something enlivening, something is missing. And we use some kind of an addiction to try to fill the void. Filling the void, and that we've heard that before, and psychologists use that, a lot of people use that, but not a lot of people are able to define the void like the Word of God can, like the Holy Spirit. And so what is the real, instead of dealing with addictions and with strongholds in our lives, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to go deeper into our life, the Word of God to go deeper into our life, where we discover that there, on the heart level, that there's something that we're trying to fill. And that very often, nine times out of ten, or maybe 99% of the times, we find that that is something that never, ever gets defined. And we, like Asa, or like these other kings in the Old Testament, we live with the high places. Um, what are we really after inside of us? What truly needs to be there that isn't? And I think that there are six things that, the, that we crave uh, that is not naturally in our flesh. That in our flesh, it's not there. And when a person is not born again or not living filled with the Word of God or filled with the Holy Spirit, then we are going to, we're going to cave in to that black hole and we're going to crave one of these six things or a combination. Number one, acceptance or approvals. We're looking for acceptance or approval from various people. Um, I'm not going to get into psychological reasons why, but that can be a very big thing in a person's life, that they need that sense of validation from other people. Number two, a sense of identity. What is my identity? I think men can really get into it. Men can also do number one, too. Uh, number two, the sense of identity. Who am I? I need to define myself. Or maybe the midlife crisis comes and someone says, I need to redefine myself. I'm feeling pretty bad about my past, about things that have happened in my life. I need to redefine. You ever hear someone say that? I'm redefining myself. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's very interesting and it's kind of scary. What is your basis? And the truth is, is you can redefine yourself a thousand different ways, but the core problem is going to still be there, black hole, the void. And you're just, you and I are just trying to fill the void in a different way. Number three, a sense of direction. Sometimes people really lack a sense of direction. They don't feel like they're going anywhere in their life. You ever feel that way? Where am I going? What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen to my kids, my grandkids? When am I going to get married? Where's my marriage going? Where's my family going? What am I doing? I'm just spinning my wheels in the mud. And that's a sense of direction that a person can, can really sense in their life. Number, number four, a, significant, a sense of significance or purpose. You know, a sense of significance. I think women can struggle with this, and men too, you know. Sense of significance. Am I significant, you know? I think one of the biggest things that a wife or a woman could ever appreciate, one of them, I'm, is 
Just a sense of being appreciated and significant. Just being significant. Like, you don't have to give me diamonds. You don't have to give me cars. You don't have to give me... Just significance. Just let me know I'm there. I'm important. Tell me how, um, how important I am. And the husband will usually say, well, honey, I've told you a thousand times. You know I love you. I tell you all the time. Well, tell me again. And then maybe, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, because men, we think on a linear level. We think if we said it once, that's it, forever. I don't ever, ever have to say it again. I think that women and that all of us, we, we struggle with a sense of what is my significance or my purpose? Am I significant? And you know something in Psalm 139, it says that God has counted the hairs on our head, that he knows our thoughts from afar off. He knows our downsittings, our uprisings. God knows where we're at. God, and if we make our bed in hell, God is there. We are significant because we are purchased with the blood of Christ. The devil wants to steal your value by getting our eyes off the finished work and looking at what we are lacking instead of our significance. Number five, another big thing that I think women and wives struggle with, a sense of security. A sense of security. Am I secure? Men do. Men really struggle with this. I'm insecure. Maybe someone may feel I'm insecure. And, and it makes us defensive. It makes us reactionary. And we lose our quietness. And number six, um, freedom and deliverance. Uh, the sense of freedom. That's uh, what people look for. That. These six things can actually be something that is inside of us that is a black hole. And it's creating a lot of deficit motivation. Whatever deficit... Uh, Deficit, deficiency lies at the deepest root of us, creates restlessness. Whenever we live in deficit, we're going to, create, we're going to become restless. We're going to become anxious. We're going, to become, uh, we're, going to, we're going to be wandering. You ever get a wandering spirit? Wanderlust, just wandering around. And we begin to wander in our minds, you know, because there's something that's in our soul that we are not, we're not allowing the word of God to address. And it's going to become a stronghold. Uh, for example, a person, we've all met people like this. They just can't stay in one place. They can't stay in one place for more than a period of time. Why? Because there's something in their soul. They are searching for something, and they are not finding it in God. And they're going to look and look and look and look until they're either destroyed or they die or, 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 or until they find God. And this is what people are, people are looking for things. And this kind of restlessness, no matter how big or small, small um, whether it's life-gripping situation or just maybe something trivial, the missing component is something very specific that Christ has already secured for us. It's in God. What's our greatest need today? What is your greatest need, my greatest need in my soul today? He, what is that greatest need? John chapter 4 is this, is we need God. Uh, Jesus said, my will, my meat, my diet, my appetite is to do the will of the Father. That's what I need. I need God's will. And when I'm functioning God's will fully, I'm going to be content and fulfilled. And so if we continue here, Jesus is, instead of Jesus being all that we need, the devil and our flesh by the way, sometimes people blame things on the devil when it's really their flesh. <laughs> you ever see that? Well, that's demonic. That's Satan. No, it's, I think it's your flesh. <laughs> and we need to define that sometimes. 
And sometimes we have a friend that tells us, I think it's your flesh, and then we get all upset. What are you talking about? It's the devil. No, it's the flesh. It's the flesh trying to come in. The devil and the flesh will always try to add something to Jesus in our life so that he is not getting all the glory and all of our trust and all of our faith. Yeah, we have Jesus. We're never going to lose him. That's awesome. We are saved by grace, kept by grace. And in John 10, 28, no man will be able to take us out of the hand of the Father. No, not even yourself. And so we are in the hand of the Father. We have Jesus. But the devil wants to add things to us. He wants to add things to our lives so that, so that we hold on to those things to become a functioning Christian. Whatever, what I mean is this, is that whatever our heart is drawn to, whether it's a cultural trend, a cause of some kind, a diversion, a personal passion, a relationship, a pursuit, a venture, a comfortable routine, however subtly it pulls us in, the cold hard truth is, is that almost immediately becomes an idol and our heart grabs hold of it. Whatever we use to replace the void is an idol. And listen to what Martin Luther said. I like this. He said, whatever your heart clings to and trusts, this is really your God. What can happen is, is that when a person has Christ, and this happens, all, every one of us in this room have this, including myself. We have Christ, we have Jesus, but we want to add something to that so that we can be a functioning Christian. You ever hear of a functioning drug addict, a functioning alcoholic, a functioning workaholic, a functioning whatever? You can add anything to that, you know? Functioning womanizer, a functioning whatever out there, man stealer. And these things, the devil wants to add these things to our life so that we're not fully trusting Jesus. What is that? It's like Asa. Asa is a functioning king. He's God's man over Israel. And he has done some things. He has God with him. He has a loyal heart after God. But the high places are still there. He's a functioning king with the high places. We can be that kind of a person where we are a, a Christian, but there are certain things in our life that we got to have. <laughs> I'm not just talking about the coffee in the morning, but I'm talking about things that if we don't have it, our life, we just get put out. We just get really put out. And this is something that we would call idol worship. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I also need this thing in my life. I need that little Jack Daniels in my coffee in the morning to make it through the day. I'm a functioning, I, I'm not talking about me, I don't need that, but, <laughs> but uh, that's, what the, that's the way, and we all know that people function that way, or they have the painkillers, or they have uh, you know, the, the gambling on the side, or, or the extra, the extra uh, marital thing going on on the sideline. These are, this is Jesus plus something. And whenever this happens, we are doing that and though we want, maybe we really want God, we're, we, we say, i got to have this in my life or I can't function as a Christian. And um, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe what, who knows what it could be. But this, these are things, and this is really, this is really, um, really replacing the grace of God and the word of God in our life so that we, uh, it's not Jesus and God only. Jesus came to set the captives free. That was his main purpose. He came to liberate us from bondage, really. And this, is, this, is explaining, this explains why God is so 
passionate about smashing idols. Now, maybe there are things that came down from our great-grandfather, our grandfather. Maybe there are relatives that we never knew that had things in their lives that affected their decisions, and it actually created a culture in the family, an environment in the family. And maybe there are things that you and I inherited from Adam, but also from uh, family members that we never, ever knew, but gave place to those things in their life, that gave place to certain strongholds in their life. And so it gets passed down to us, to you. In my family, I think one of the things was alcohol. Really big. It was crazy, you know. And every generation, it was just, you know, every generation. And then, but when it came to us, me, my brothers, uh, my sister, we all got saved. And that generational stronghold ended with us. That's it. It's not there anymore. It's been broken. And so our kids are going are to be growing up with that, without that in their life. And if it was a part of our lives, then it's no longer part of our lives. And so it's broken. And so that stronghold is broken. God is very passionate about breaking down the idols. Here's the bottom line. God announces, thing, announces to all idols, behold, it, it says here, I love this verse in Isaiah 41, verse 24, behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. When we look at those idols in our life, we have to look at them this way. You're nothing. That is nothing. That is vain. It's another, uh, he, it's another verse in 41, verse 29. They are an illusion. Uh, talk to any drug addict that ever got out of his addiction, and he will tell you that was an illusion. I think it was Nietzsche that said that there are more idols and um, illusions in this world than there are realities. Now, we don't subscribe to Nietzsche's philosophy, but he did get that right in his book called The Twilight of the Idols. He said that there are more um, idols and there are more uh, illusions in the life that we live than there are realities. And that's what's happening today. The internet, wait till, you, wait till the virtual world starts. You know, the, the goggles and the, the virtual... They've got holograms now that when you turn them, you can feel it. You can feel through it. You can feel the image of some kind, you know. It's coming. And the imaginations of man are just unlimited. Wait till that comes. Man, I thought the internet and TV was bad. You're going to have people walking around like zombies with these, these virtual VR goggles on, walking around and, and just so detached from reality. It's coming. It's coming. There are more, there are more illusions that we face today, just walk down East County Line Road down to the nearest store. You walk into a store, illusions everywhere. Yeah. And that's the way that these are idols. And they are a delusion, Isaiah 41, verse 29. Isaiah 44, verse 9, it says they do not profit. They're unprofitable. They don't profit us. They are worthless, worthless in Jeremiah 10, verse 15. Um, the, the, the New Testament confirms it. It says this, that no idol, uh, an idol has no real existence in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. It's not alive. <laughs> it's not alive, you know. My fishing rod. I don't fish. I don't, you know. But it's not alive. You know, it's, it's okay to fish. I'm not, or I should say my bike. I love, I love cycling. I went cycling yesterday at 31 miles and just felt so great. Uh, it was just great. I got home and... And, uh, 
you know, an entire, a ready to eat an entire pizza, which I think <laughs> I did. But it was thin crust, gluten-free, uh, small. It was all the right. Th but don't tell my wife. She's coming tonight. So you can tell her. It's, it is, these are worthless. Pizza is worthless. Wait a minute, Pastor Tony's going to get upset at me. <laughs> the New Testament confirms this. Acts 14, verse 15, it is useless. They are vain things. It is useless. Now, the average person will tell you, of course, I know all that. But I am so attached to this thing, I can't break away. You know, idolatry is associated with demons. What we use, and I just want to say five things here. Number one, what we use in addition to Jesus is idolatry. It's what we worship. There's a five-step process that usually begins like this. When we have a black hole and we, we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill the void, we're not allowing praise to fill the void, we're not allowing the vision that God gives us to fill the void, we're not allowing fellowship to fill the void you know like just getting together and fellowshipping and uh ron and i went out for a, a pizza the other day and just fellowshiped and we were filling the void and uh getting on the phone with someone and praying on the phone filling the void and and because uh, we could turn the tv on with uh fox news or whatever you watch and fill the void that way we could watch tv we could do all of these things to fill the void but as soon as that is over we're empty again, and the void is not filled. So what we fill the void is what we are really worshiping. Number two, what we worship, we grant access to our mind and soul. Now, I, I, was, I was overseas, and there were some, we were talking with some Christians and, and other missionaries, American missionaries, and they had all of these videos that they had brought over from America. I mean, stacks and stacks and stacks of movies that they had brought over. And um, I looked at someone, I said, man, that is like some really, some of that is really violent stuff. And they said, it all just depends on your threshold. And I thought, I don't know if I agree with that because the soul is like a little baby inside of us that it absorbs everything. Do you know that whatever you and I hear in our minds, uh, we never forget it. It's in there forever. It, we will never, ever, ever forget it. It just gets put somewhere, categorized, and maybe our conscious mind doesn't remember it, but it will, it will in some way impact our life. Maybe if I'm watching a violent movie, I'm not going out and killing people, but maybe that affects the way I communicate to other people. I remember when I was a kid, a really small kid, I liked monsters, like, just like these scary monsters, and I had, you know, I subscribed to a magazine, it was just scary monsters, you know, like Godzilla and all these crazy scary monsters, and... Back then, Godzilla was scary. That was like before cars and everything. And I had them all over. I had them in my. I had all these posters in my walls, and you know, I'd have nightmares every night. And I, my mom had a friend come over, and you know, every night I'd have a nightmare. I'd wake up, and you know, and my my mom's friend said, "It's it's it's like these demonic photo." This was before we had all gotten saved. There's these demonic posters all over your room. No matter, no no wonder you're having nightmares. These images affect your mind. And so what we worship is we give, we say, come on into my soul, come into my mind, you know. And when we, when we think that way and we allow that, that is something that comes in. And create, number three, creates a pattern of thinking. What we worship, we grant access to our soul, number two. And number three, it creates a pattern of thinking. It creates a pattern of thinking. Number four, these patterns of thinking become the building blocks for strongholds. Uh, 
that the devil builds in our lives that allows the devil to come in and to create havoc in a person's life. Now, maybe something has happened in the past that we have not brought to the cross or continually brought to the cross. There's some things that we have to continually bring to the cross. Just, there's things that we bring one time and it's just dealt with. And then sometimes there are things that are just so deeply embedded in our life that we have to keep bringing it, keep bringing it, keep bringing it. I think every one of us in this room has had some traumatic, crazy thing happen to us that uh, has in some way impacted us. We keep bringing it to the cross, keep bringing it to the cross, that it was, that it was crucified there, and that I am no longer my sin, I'm no longer my past, Romans chapter 7, Paul said. And when we do that, we're not allowing um, the devil to build blocks, you know, like that kid was in the movie. He was building blocks that blocked out the cross. Number five, these idols can cause one of three or a combination of things that really uh, leads us to serving the idol. One of three things. And these three things are enemies of grace. And these, these idols, they'll, they'll cause us to... We can't have an idol in our life without the idol causing us to serve it. The idol, demonic idols in our life will, will create... Not just a, you know, it's not an inanimate object that we just have in our life that when we put it away, it just stays away. But it's something that begins to influence our life. There are three things that, and these things um, we do because we want self-worth, self-approval, and self-comfort. These three things in today's world really are three things. Legalism, uh, performancism, and moralism. Now, you, you may say, well, wait a minute, we're talking about, you know, well, a drug addict is, he is in, he is in bondage to performancism. And because he can't perform, he fails and he goes into drugs and he, and he, and he goes into performance. He, I mean, he can't perform the way he wants to. You know, many times when we talk to drug addicts, they'll be always saying, you know, I got I to gotta work on myself. I didn't get things together. They're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I'm just going to, and they're extremely driven. It's like, man, whoa, slow down. Just receive grace in your life. I don't want you to do, God doesn't want you to do anything but just to receive. Or uh, maybe a person struggling with sin in their life um, is struggling and, and because they are living in legalism in their life. Legalism just means trying to do the will of God in the energy of the flesh. And so they, they get into legalism and then they fail. And then they just get it, they fall into sin. And then they, the real problem is not the sin that they're following, falling into. It's the problem is legalism. It's this trying to measure up to something that Jesus has already secured in our life, the finished work. And then number three, moralism. You know, a person may feel immoral in their life. And, uh, they, and, they, and they, they revert to that because they can't be moral enough. And so these three things are really enemies of grace. So how do we deal with this? I'm going to close with this, some good news. How do we deal with these things? And next week we'll talk more about it. But how do, I, how do we deal with strongholds in our life? Now remember what a stronghold is. Stronghold is something that has been built in our life over a period of time because of a pattern of thinking that exists because we're, we're worshiping something. And why are we worshiping it? Because we have a hole in our soul. Now, how do we deal with the hole in our soul? Now, when you and I get saved, we become 
We become temples of the Holy Spirit. We become uh, his temple. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Christ indwells us by faith. And we are no longer, uh, we are no longer lost. We are in Christ. But there are times, though, there are patterns of thinking that God needs to, needs to break and he needs to change. And too many times people struggle with symptoms of sin and not the cause. And there's so many pro programs out there to deal with symptoms, but never to cause. And then there's so many other programs out there in the medical world just to, uh, just to feed people pills, to feed people medication, feed people all of this stuff that, that, um, that is not... That is why, this, that is why you know, these antidepressants, people commit suicide. Why? The reason why is, is that they are their their chemistry because of this medication is is pumping up good feelings and uh, chemical feelings to be happy but the depth inside the deep need is not being met and so there's a great controversy there's a great paradox inside their soul and they're like i feel happy and energized and but i'm not happy and then they just and then they just they 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 self-destruct and i had a friend that did that and I think that I think that the medical world needs to talk more about that because it's just so dangerous. And so, how do we deal with this? Well, Paul says this very carefully, very clearly in Second Corinthians chapter ten. And I want to close with this verse: it "says that we live in the world, though we walk in the flesh." Meaning, though I though I care myself about in a fleshly world, in a physical world, I'm in a physical world. There's physical things. There's gravity. I got to work to make money. I got to uh, deal with things. Although I walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, according to the flesh. And so God's way of dealing with things is much different than see warring after warring according to the flesh would be going into the world's substitute to fill the void instead of God's resolution. Warring after the flesh means, okay, i got to go see a psychologist because I was abused as a kid, or my dad was mean to me, or, or I was laughed at in school, or, or I failed school, or whatever, whatever it could be. That is, excuse me, that is, that is warring according to the flesh. But it says here that in verse 4, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I remember in Ukraine, and I've told this story before, that in the, first, in the second year of our church, we had about six guys come into our church that were uh, one right after the other. They were all friends. Uh, had come across to the other side of Ukraine. It was a 36-hour train ride. It's like getting in a train and, and riding from west coast to east coast, something like that. And um, maybe, actually, maybe that's not a good distance relative distance but 36 hours they came and they came to our church for help and i had never worked with with um with uh you know narcotics people recovering from nar narcotics before and i prayed i was like god how do i help these people i have never been trained and and someone told me he said they said that is to your advantage uh and god just said just preach the finished work preach grace preach romans 7 romans 8 preach that uh, that we are baptized in Christ, that we are no longer our sin, that we are new creations, brand new. Just preach that. And as I did, 
these guys, God healed these guys. And that means that our weapons of the warfare against narcotics is not, is not carnal. We're not out there throwing programs at people or throwing dollars at programs. We're preaching Christ. So what's the answer? Well, what we do here is that they are, we have mighty weapons in God for pulling down strongholds. And verse 5 is here is the nuts and bolts of the whole thing. Casting down vain imaginations. How do, we, how do we tear down high places or strongholds? It begins really at the thought level. It begins at first being letting, letting God, through the word of God, begin to fill the void. Fill the void with, with something else. These guys that came in, like these guys that came in, they were at Bible school. We had Bible school like almost every night. They came to Bible school. They were, they were at the services. They were at, they were at the outreaches. They were at fellowships. We had prayer with them in the mornings. They had every day. They were filling the void with, uh, with divine purpose and the finished work and uh, healthy fellowship. Casting down, and this is what we do. We cast down every thought that exalts itself over the Word and of Christ. For example. A thought comes to my mind. And in the morning, I always pray this, God, just be the God of my mind today. You know, we have flesh, and fleshly thoughts are going to come. <laughs> don't, get, don't get condemned that that happens. You know, Martin Luther said that, talking about his thought life and projections that would come to him, he said these birds, like demonic birds, would just fly over my head and just fly so close, and I'd be so amazed at the thoughts that would come to my mind like these birds but he said don't worry about them be concerned about the ones that land in your hair and start making a nest this is what we do we cast down thoughts we we a thought comes and we cast it down we say you know what this is the, what the bible says about this subject this is what god's mind is about the subject i'm going to cast that thought down and when we cast it down what is that word it really means to pull down. And what are these vain imaginations? Well, in the Greek, it's logismos. And what it is, is just, it is uh, calculations. It is reasoning. It is a thought process. It's reflections. You know, when you reflect about things and you're sitting down and you're thinking, I wonder if I was a good dad. You know, I'm reflecting. I'm, I don't know if I was a good father or if I was a good husband or if I was a good family member or if I'm good at work. And we start reflecting. It's kind of like neutral. You're in neutral. You're just kind of eating your cornflakes in the morning. You're just reflecting. You're not even thinking. And we gotta, we gotta define. We gotta catch that. And we gotta, we gotta say, you know what? That thought is exalting itself against the word and against God. And I'm gonna cast it down. And just say, you know what? I'm throwing that down. And I'm gonna think on what God. And when we do that, that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing is, is that we take every thought and we bring it into submission to Jesus Christ. We just bring it to God. We say, God, this is what I'm dealing with right now in my mind. And we just give it to God. And it's a process. And as we do that, we're not just leaving the high place there. Because if the thoughts just have their way and they just kind of wander around in our minds like kids without supervision, then they're going to create havoc in the mind. And it's going to... And it's going to create a reaction. And we're going to find ourselves, we're going to find ourselves um, functioning in void. And we're going to be functioning, we're going to be needing that something in our life to be able to function. 
um, that thing on the side so that we can just get through life. That's an idol. That's an idol. And it's so easy. And I think that it's going to take the rest of our lives for some things, for God to work in our life. And you know something? God is very gracious with us, and God is on your side. God is for us in Romans chapter 8. You know, don't live in condemnation when, when something happens in your life. You know, the best of us here, I don't know what that means. What is the best of us? I think we're all the same, right? There's none best here. But all of us struggle with this. And when things come in, just say, you know what, that's the flesh, and that's not me. That's just, that's not who I am. And just cast it down and just bring it to the, bring it, bring it. Just say, hey, get down off that high chair and just and pull it right down. You ever, you ever see someone or something get, you know, like they are just way out of, out of turn and out of, they're exalting them. Well, our thought life tries to do is exalt itself against God. And we just say, you know, who do you think you are? What are you thinking? Get down here and just pull it down, throw it on the floor, drag it to the cross and say, you know what, that's, and say, Jesus, this is what I caught in my mind. <laughs> I just caught this invader in my mind, and I'm just bringing it to you, and I'm going to submit it to the cross. And when we do that, we are worshiping Christ. That's worship. That's true worship. And I'm going to close with this. True worship. You know, we can come to church and worship God and praise God, but true worship is something is when I take depression, I pull it down, and I'm just dragging it to the cross, you know. When I take envy and I just pull it to the cross, you know, I see somebody else's, somebody else, something that somebody else has, and I just say, you know, I want that. And you can feel the pull in your soul. Just pull it down and say, God, you know what? Be content with those things that you have. I'm just going to bring it to the cross. And you know what? When that happens, when we do that, we're worshiping Christ, and the reverse, the reverse begins. When we're worshiping Christ, then guess what? Uh, healing can begin. That's when healing begins. I and mean, as we worship Christ, healing can begin. Is it possible for a person that has suffered many things in their life to get healed without extensive counseling? I think so. I think so. Some people may need the counseling. They may need to sit down and have some sessions. But I think a person can get healed of things through the power of the word of God, through the crucifixion power of the, of the Bible, of the, of the cross, and the healing power in Psalm 107, verse 20, I believe, that he sent his word to heal us. And that's how it works. We just do that and just, just receive grace and say, you know what, I am such a funny person. I'm not going to live in condemnation. I'm just going to say, you know what, that is not me, and I'm going to pull that down. I'm going to drag it to the cross. And when I do that, um, I'm no longer in bondage. You know, just the fact that we confess things to the Lord releases us from bondage to that thing. Mm-hmm. Do you ever talk to somebody about something that's going on and then you feel released? You know, it is just the accountability of bringing that thing to God and saying, God, let me just talk to you right now. This is what's happening. Like, look at me. You know, I'm, I'm in this situation. This is what's happening. And, and uh, I'm in bondage to this thing. I'm in bondage to fear. And I'm in bondage to a poor self-image. And... And it's like, and then you tell God, you talk to God. And you know what, just, why? Because, because whenever you shine light on something, the devil will flee. I mean, it's just like bugs in the attic. You go upstairs and you shine the light around a little bit, and mice and bugs and everything are just going to scatter, aren't they? Because light, just shining light, defining things from the Bible will always tear down strongholds. And that's the last point I want to make is that strongholds can disappear by just hearing the Bible define it. 
Like, I love powerful, strong preaching because it just defines things. And it's just like, wow, you know, that is, you walk out of the service and you're like, wow, I feel so cleansed. I feel like I've had a cleansing. And so I just want to start with that in that, you know, that we have this victory in Christ. And I don't want to be a Christian that just all of my life I have high places that just have not been pulled down. I can be that way. I can live my life as a Christian. At the end of my life, it could be, yeah, he was loyal after God, but the high places were still there, you know. So I want, I want God to do his full work, in, and that's what we want because we don't want to live in, in bondage to anything. So let's close in a word of prayer and just thank the Lord for this truth.